Shalom, listeners, and welcome to the uh, Jewish Power. <laughs> okay. Jewish Power. Sorry, I thought Ari would react a lot. I, I, if you want to do more this, I, I'm, I'm more, I'm more, I'm worried. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not Jewish. Am I? Am I not helping? I feel uh, like, okay. I feel like it's false advertising. Okay, well, that was the opening bit. So, <laughs> cue the music. This is, this is comedy poison. We're not doing that. God damn it. Okay. Okay, hello, and welcome to Legends in Review, an unaffiliated and unofficial podcast reviewing DC's Legends in Tomorrow. Legends in Tomorrow, whatever, who cares? I'm your host, Rachel. And I'm your host, Ari. And this week's episode is actually, we titled it, well, Ari titled it, a very clever pun. We took a solid ten minutes to try to figure yeah. out what it, we were going to call this. It was a lot of back and forth. Um, and we came up with, because her name is Zari, there's an I at the end. And so even though you pronounce it Zari, the episode title is, those, there's no Zari in team. It's very clever. It's very, very clever. It's very, I, it's very <laughs> funny. I assure you, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. So this week's episode was another really good episode. It was and so again, good. The more good episodes we have in a row, the more afraid I start to get of the inevitable but as Rachel and I uh, talked about and pointed out, the interesting thing about the start of season three versus the start of season two is that when you look at the really rough mm -hmm. start season two had, it was plagued by two, well, three, if you include the loss of Rip, major problems. One, with the loss of Rip, they did kind of drop a big, they got rid of Rip, Kendra, and Len, whose character arcs and development made up most of season one. And by doing so, basically left season two with nothing to build on. Yes. Secondly, because the crossover was happening so much more... Like, it was happening faster. It was the first big show crossover, so yes. basically everything had to go into it, whereas this year I think they recognize that the crossover is just going to be a waste of everyone's time. Yes, or at least, like, they're not as interested in hyping it up. And third, Mark Guggenheim isn't writing any of these episodes. And allegedly, mm, allegedly. allegedly, let's just start with our favorite catchphrase, allegedly. Amazing, um, allegedly. Our 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 theory is that from last season there was a little bit of Mark trying to get in early into the show's season schedule and write episodes that would turn people off from the show because he's not fond of how well it does in the ratings because it makes Arrow look bad. Allegedly. allegedly. So with that not a problem anymore, for whatever reason, I don't know, Phil Clemmer's holding him at gunpoint in the editing room or something, allegedly. allegedly. But it does mean that we're getting quality episodes earlier into the season. Mm -hmm. And there's no fear. Another big reason season the start of season two wasn't as like good for us as we were so worried Nate was going to turn to fuck. And that didn't happen. But in our defense, we were worried because of Moss. Like, we were really, like, I, we were a little mean to Nate at the start of season two to bring this back to uh, yes. Nate. Specifically because Nate is the character whose rip right now is uh, fucking around um, having a successful music career, musical career, Arthur. But, fucking um, Arthur Darville. Um, but Nate was very much he came in at a bad time because we just lost a lot of main characters. Yes. He came in at a bad time outside of that context because Monel had just been introduced in Supergirl yes, and we were so afraid he was going to be Sarah's Monel. Yeah, we were really afraid he was going to be Sarah's love interest because whenever Mark writes anything near Sarah, I think honestly Mark Guggenheim really wants to allegedly fuck Sarah or Katie. Uh -huh. And so he very much like tries to treat I think we mentioned last week that when about he how there's that fight between like when, when Mark he, and Phil were writing Yeah, Nate's when Mark allegedly can't make Ray his self insert, he allegedly makes Nate his self insert. And so of course all the women near him become sort of things that he can try to have sex with. And note that in the first few episodes we were worried about Nate being Sarah's love interest, who wrote them? Mr. Mark Guggenheim. I don't need him to be good at things. I don't need him to be Anything other than nice to the women in his life. My bar for white men on TV is literally that low. Also, and he I is know he goes what, above yeah. and beyond being simply kind. Mm -hmm. Like, let's try to tie this back into the episode yes. a little bit. Um, he goes above and beyond being kind because there's a scene in the beginning of mm -hmm. the episode, almost like a cold open bit, yeah. where Amaya is like sleep totaming, and it is number one a really cute concept because I love personally when superhero powers or quirks interact with um someone's actually day to day life. Very, very clever about that. She was totaming she was taking on the form of a spider. The Spider Jorg. Get out of my apartment. Fuck you. <laughs> the, the creature that created the totem is actually a god of storytelling. Anansi. Yes, Anansi is the god who made the totem that Amaya wears. So she was basically channeling 
the god that made her totem. That's adorable. When she was sleeping. Which I really love because Anansi is harassing her like, hey, when are we getting grandkids? Usually she takes the form of a spider. Anansi like, hey, you gay? But Anansi, Anansi is... Um, like, hey girl, guess what? You getting a girlfriend this week. Jesus. Anansi is um, one of a very long line of trickster heroes in um, folklore and myth. You have stuff yeah. like Br'er Rabbit, Anansi... Um, Elifrira, um, Robin Hood, kind of, although it's less, like, furry, but I just rattled off a bunch of furry icons. But my point is, um, I really think it's interesting that Amaya, who's, like, so serious... Amaya, another furry icon. Yes. I'm going to prison. You are going to prison. Um, Amaya, who is so methodical and serious and, like, measured is, um, gets her powers from a trickster god, which I really love. I don't know if they'll ever do anything with that, but I like it. big thing is also because I did some research into it. Because whenever people talk about, like, African folklore and they're like, this is a trickster god, I'm like, I need to take a look at this from a different source yes. that isn't I don't, I don't mean us. trickster god in a negative yeah. way. This they're, isn't like Loki. This yeah. is like um, They're very, very big and... on wisdom and storytelling and sort of like, what have you learned from this? Yep. It's an idea of outwitting your enemies with wit and not yes, force. And exactly. That's, we kind of put that under the umbrella of being a trickster because yeah. we don't really have another word for it. Yeah. But it's more like a guile hero. Yeah. You guys know that term. Like some someone who gets their way out of a situation by being smart, not necessarily being underhanded, but by using their yes, opponents. Yes, not underhanded in the way that like Sarah or Len or Mick are, but in in a Robin Hood way, in a yeah. clever, honorable way. Yes, and that's that's very much like that's something Amaya is kind of coming into the more yes. time she spends on this team. She becomes more of an epic hero the longer she spends on this team, and it's so good. I know. I'm really glad they're all here to serve for her development. But just for the sake of me proving my own argument, <laughs> it doesn't matter now. It it's just fucking bad. It's okay. Just bad. You know what? It's just bad. I'm not going to waste anyone's time. It's just bad. Yeah. We're, we're legends. We're legends. We're, we're, we are now getting to review a show that is doing good things. I don't want to go back to reviewing a show that's doing bad things. We're, we, <laughs> Phil Clemmer, I, honestly, part of me felt like this episode was so good in so many ways that Phil Clemmer wrote it for us personally for doing most of the PR for this I, fucking I show. <laughs> Um, they're gonna be, they're gonna be, I'm gonna be in job interviews, and be like, okay, so what are your qualifications? Like, I was the one-person PR, two-person PR team for, um, the worst show on television, but, like, in a fun, sexy way. <laughs> but in, like, fun, sexy <laughs> Um, I do want to mention, I mean, like, a lot of people are like, oh, and Stein was, like, mansplaining to Amaya, and da-da-da. Well, first off, and, like, that's, here's a couple things from someone who, as I mentioned in the introduction, this is the Jewish power hour. <laughs> Um, Victor Garber is a Jewish man, an older Jewish man. Stein is an older Jewish man. I have an uncle, like a great uncle, who I once said to my father, who is a Jewish man, and my uncle is, great uncle is an older Jewish man, like, oh, he kind of mansplains, and my dad goes, what's mansplaining, and I explained, and my dad goes, how dare you? He does that to everyone. Yeah. Like, it's just this thing, because we pride, and I know the show isn't smart enough to do this, so this is more just a little bit of a tidbit of Jewish culture and why we act the way we do. Yeah. Because we pride education so much in our community, um, the older you get, the sort of wiser you feel. And the more compelled you feel to and share the more, Yeah, and the more compelled you feel to share information. Like, the fact that Stein immediately whisks Amaya off to the med bay because she, he thinks she's having a medical problem, I will tell my mom sometimes, like, oh, a friend of mine had, like, a cold or something, and she's like, are they sure it's a cold? What's their family history like? Have they had blood work done recently? I, and I'm like, holy shit, mom. <laughs> One time I had a cut on my shoulder. Yeah. And I was, I casually mentioned, oh, this is kind of bothering me, and I have some band-aids on it, and the band-aids were falling off. And as I pulled the band-aids off, there was a three-person flurry in Rachel's house. Yeah. Did you my, videos for it? Are you sure it's not infected? I'm just sitting my, here like. My parents <laughs> arguing at like, because one of my parents were like, oh, we should put a suture on it. And, like, my dad was like, we should put a suture. And my mom's like, no, no, it needs Neosporin and a Band-Aid. And, like... I'm just sitting here, like, both like cut my arm off? What if I just cut the whole thing but then off? we're gonna stand there arguing about the best way to fucking handle it. That's Jewish culture! Yeah. Is arguing about medical... <laughs> I mean, part of me kind I of makes sense because if Amaya was Lily... You know, we've she seen that Lily, we see that Lily argues with her dad all the time. Uh-huh. That's sort of the way the relationship works. And um, Stein really do, does view, like, Sarah, especially as his daughter. Yep. And I think was probably, as a character, expecting a little more pushback from Amaya, but that's not yes. who Amaya is. Especially she, doesn't, she doesn't understand that she's Generationally, to because he's, like, older than her in appearance, even though she's yep. older than him. And she still feels young. Yeah. I know I make jokes about her being old, but she still yeah. feels like She's like, I can't yell at an old man. I'm not going to do that. I'm she's not. like, that would be extremely disrespectful. Sarah's and, like, I do it all the time. And Sarah with a megaphone in Martin's face, like, 
You're fucking old. Shut up. <laughs> but it is also worth noting that, like, Stein, I also thought it was interesting because there have been times where Stein is like, Ugh, I'm not actually a medical doctor, guys. But the second that Amaya's in trouble or that Jax is in trouble, even though he has made a point of not being a medical doctor yeah, and other like, points, he's like, okay, let's get them in the med bay. I'm going to do doctor shit. I mean, it was Which almost like, it's it's one of those things. And like, this is, and again, this is the most Jewish parent thing in the world, which is that um, you were going to get treated for this medical illness. You're going to get my concern, whether you like it or not. Yep. And like the, especially you going, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then being like, no, no, you're not. Like, especially because she's like, it's my totem. And he's like, "Mm, pretty sure you need a flu shot. And she's like, what? I don't know what a flu shot is. She's like, what is a flu shot? Next you're going to tell me I can't get polio. (laughs) But it was, it was very sweet that like, it was also such a crock of shit that Stein was like, I don't care about your emotional problems, Nathaniel. Like, shut the, pop up, shut up. That is such, I feel that is like such bullshit. I mean, the fact that Nate was trying to talk about his love life and the fact that Stein was not immediately like, pulls up three chairs. <laughs> I know. I was like, that sounds fake. This is a lie. <laughs> this, is, this is false. Um, this is inconsistent characterization and I won't fucking stand it for really it. It really was because there have been times where Sarah's like, hi, I'm bleeding to death. And Stein is like, yes, but how do you feel about Rip right now? And she's like, I am dying. Excuse me. <laughs> um, but okay. And so, or with Mick where he's like, hmm, you're seeing the ghost of your dead husband? Interesting. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about that. How does that make you feel? I don't want this. <laughs> but like, Nobody <laughs> wants this. But it I'm was. I'm going to miss him so much when he fucking dies. I, I, he's going to come back. I really do and truly believe that he's coming back because that's because the Gotham back. Harbor only kills straight people. Yes. But also, um, in, in like, because musical runs don't usually go very long. So I think what will probably happen is season four. He won't be back until season four, but I do see him either coming back at the finale of season three or oh. at the start of season four because it's a musical. He's not going to yeah. be there for the rest of his life. I mean, I did see someone mention that maybe they can't afford him. Which I, is, I find that... I like, find, isn't he kind of old and amicable enough that he would, like, probably work for what they... The thing about... And, like, this is the thing about certain productions like this is when people say, oh, can they not? Can they or can they not afford that? Actors are people, and sometimes people just like to have fun on a certain project. There have been instances um, of actors agreeing to do parts in films or being on something or doing something for you know, a song in terms of their regular salary, relatively speaking, because they really enjoy the production or because it's not like they're not really concerned about the money for whatever reason, because and like the thing about Legends is everyone on the show is having a lot of fun. Um, Even on the episodes where we're maybe not as fond of them, Mm -hmm. everyone on the show is clearly enjoying themselves. I mean, one of my favorite things. I don't think he's going to like leave over a salary negotiation. He he sort of does really cherish Franz as a person. And he is, also is a theater person, Which too. is ridiculous, not, because who... Franz is, is like... He's doing I, his best. He's as a fellow One Piece fan, I have to stick up for him. Oh, that line just gave me anemia. It's true! Oh, I have to go see a doctor Oh, shush. He is, he is an anime fan, and that's really sweet. Um, uh, I'm really sad we haven't had no. Jax making any references to it. But, like, I theater people don't make as much money as you think they do, so I don't think Victor Garber is looking for $10 million Or you're, like, Arthur Darville, who's worked for the BBC. Arthur Darville has no... I think he is used to paying people for the privilege of being on set because he <laughs> worked for the BBC, and they don't have any money. I, they still, and, like, that's one of those things Even where, for like, Doctor Who, you would think, like, oh, this is, like, a flagship franchise. Nope, no one's getting fucking paid. Like, you think with all the, like, how old the BBC is and stuff like that. I mean, I think it's so English that, like, perhaps the BBC doesn't even want to have money. Being poor builds character. <laughs> like, it is very much like I don't, a, what was that accent? <laughs> I have no fucking clue. They don't want the dirty government, they don't want the to- Tory government money. They'd rather die. I mean, that's honestly, uh, fair. I'd sooner marry into the Yorks <laughs> than accept Theresa May's money. Um, but in like you know, it's not. I know. <laughs> shut up. I know people are very worried that oh, legends can't afford these actors or things like that. I promise, it's really not that big a deal for most of these actors because a lot of them, though they are very talented, do have backgrounds in theater or on like BBC or whatever. And the CW is deliberately getting actors from those genres so they can pay them less. Um, it sounds mean, but it's actually, they did it in the first Thor. They deliberately got Tom Hiddleston and Chris Hemsworth because they were both, um, much, much more small time actors at that point in time. And Tom had really only done theater and bit parts in indie films up till then. So they could give them a lot less, um, and hope that they would deliver on a good performance. And they did. And like that gamble is usually worth it. 
Um, so I guess the moral of the story here is hire theater actors because then they're basically working for free. Yeah, if you're ever doing a production, I guess. Um, okay. I think we should probably loop back into the episode because there yeah, was, we like... Yeah, Zari? Before we talk about Zari, because Zari is an angel and everything good in this world I and I her. die for her, there is something a little concerning I wanted to talk about in this episode. Mm-hmm. There's this phrase called trial ballooning. Mm-hmm. And what trial ballooning is, is when you do something bad, but it's a small bad thing. Because you're testing to see if you can get away with that small bad thing. Because if you can, you are later going to try a bigger bad thing. It doesn't always have to be a bad thing. Their trial yeah. ballooning can also be like if you're trying to, like, for example, come out to someone. And yes. you mention, like, how do you feel about such and such issue on trans rights or gay rights? And they respond. You're watching their response to see if you can trust them with something bigger. Okay, so that's what trial ballooning is. Yeah. I mean it, however, in the sense that they were doing a bad thing. Yes. They the, were seeing how much we'd react They were to this. seeing how much we would react to the Argus authoritative state. Because they posted, they had someone do some pretty bad art posters for Argus. And then the Legends Writers thing was like, oh, look at these posters we had for the scary Argus authoritarian society. And I was like... This feels like a trial balloon for the fact that you're going to have Nazis in the crossover, and you know we're all pissed about it. Uh-huh. And, like, a cutesy funny, especially since there is so much well-dedicated history of Nazi propaganda through art, um, especially. Um, I mean, fuck, it is very much like, here's some sexy war propaganda stuff. This is historical and fun, right? No, it's about Nazis. You are trying to see if we're okay I mean, with Nazis. And that's why I almost feel like... The people who wrote Legends were almost a little bit, like, bitter about that because they were so anti-Argus this episode. They made sure to make a point that Jax, who was, like, freeing the prisoners who were being tortured by Argus, which had been experimented on before. My best, most beautiful boy. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, was complete, they made sure to make the point that Jack was completely in the right and that Argus is completely in the wrong and that the Legends will at some point need to fix that. The I mean, the moral, Legends sort of said, okay, we're going to handle, we'll put that on the back burner. I don't know if it's going to be brought up again, but. It's subtle, but it is important that the moral compasses of this episode were a Muslim woman and a black man. Like, that does matter because mm-hmm. I don't, I, I do think that is too pointed to not be deliberate and I don't want to say this is like oh this is the legend writers being hashtag woke or whatever but because I they never it, will be no they don't really know what that is but I do think there is a certain level of discord between the writing staff of all the respective shows on how with it they are with this Nazi crossover and I do think legends is very much like hey fuck this because you know one of the things about legends is like well, I think it was a little ham-fisted how they were just like, oh yeah, Zari is a Muslim and religion is illegal. It was actually a pretty decent ham-fisting. It was, and superhero it was, stuff is always ham-fisted. It was not so bad that it took me out of the narrative, and like, as the episode was going on, I was like, that was actually a really smart way to do it. It's very earnest. Like, I will yeah. always take earnest, ham-fisted social commentary over Mark Guggenheim's stuff. Black Lives Matter episode. Jesus Christ almighty. Um, or stuff trying to be smug and satirical as, in terms of social commentary. Like, mm-hmm. I've read, as I've mentioned before, most of, uh, actually all of Wally's Flash run at this point, and there is um, a very big chunk of his run that deals with homelessness um, and the idea of homeless uh, homeless populations in urban areas and just the, mm-hmm. the, the consequences of homelessness on people and communities. And, like, it's... Not subtle in any way, shape, or form. I want to make this very clear. It is. It has Hartley in a V-neck bathrobe down to his dick handing out bread to children. The V-neck but, bathrobe is down to his dick because he wants Wally to see his yes, dick. I just has, want to this, emphasize yes, that. Yes, this has nothing. This is not. But it is can very... I take a, can I take a bar for a second? How much... Like, we have two beautiful bisexual men playing Wally and Hartley. I have been robbed! And they're not on the flash. And it's and it's weird because they're out bisexual men in real life. Mm-hmm. And they're not on the flash anymore. And I know that Keenan is doing successful music things. And, like, Andy is also. But also, did, like... Especially with Wally specifically. They wrote him off to do a quick tangent. They did write Wally off in a way that... They didn't have to fucking do that. Like, I understand mm-hmm. he's doing something else, but how you write a character off says more about the show yeah. than a and fact that an actor needs up, to leave. Uh, break up with Jesse, whose actress is also an out bisexual, and she was not even in the episode to break up with Wally. Everything is bad, is what we're saying. So keep these things doing in mind. better than The Flash, which is a really low bar, except for Iris, who is perfect. Yeah, Iris and Cisco are great, but mm, we delicious. have to, we have to talk about yes. like certain choices and why they're made and why. Yep. 
I don't think there is an active campaign mm -hmm. to fuck over bisexual actors on the CW, but we have to consider um, what it might influence consciously or unconsciously in terms of how writers deal with these characters because of how they might feel about the actor's sexuality. Mm -hmm. In this regard, and I know people are going to be like, oh, Greg Berlanti is a gay man. Um, that didn't stop him from how he handled Harley's plotline and everything about his ugly. We do also, have we time as, for we as to get a fair community it. need to um, hold cis white gay men accountable for their actions. Yeah, for real. But to go back to um, the issue of social commentary in superhero media is it's always always, always unsubtle. And the good shit, like if, if any of you have ever heard of Anne Nocenti, Anne Nocenti is actually the person who gave Oliver Queen in the comics his reputation of kind of being a social activist, something hardcore. Um, and obviously other things expanded on that, which is why it's really funny that Arrow just looked at that and went, fuck that. But um, in all social fairness, commentary in comics is always ham-fisted. It's okay that Zari's um, religion was handled with a degree of ham-fistedness because it was earnest ham-fistedness and they weren't like, did you try not being a Muslim? And because that's what Mark seen, would have done. Yeah, we've seen what Mark Guggenheim's social commentary looks like in, say, oh, I don't know, the slavery episode. I'm so tired. And we've seen how clever Mark Guggenheim thinks he is on social issues it's, because he is this... And this is this thing. There's a lot of white male comics writers who are liberal. Yes. Who, but they're really bad at being who liberal. Who then feel like, because I'm supporting you, I can do whatever I want. Yep. And like, no, I'm telling your story. And don't understand it's not their story to tell. Yes. And they do social commentary as a way to sound or look clever. And like, this social commentary with Zari did not feel, and again, I'm not Muslim, so this is me personally, if someone else has a different opinion, yeah. I totally understand. But yes. I did not feel like it was a white person trying to be smart or clever about social commentary. It felt very earnest. And given that just recently, um, there was an, I want to say Canada? Mm -hmm. Yes, there was. Um, Canada there, just bail banned um, full. Any religious headgear. I, I think they banned um, the full burqa. Yep. And the um, hijab with the face covering as well. But niqab, I think I believe yeah the niqab. The niqab. So yeah, this is happening. Like this is like actually in real life happening. So when you say oh this is a little ham fisted shit like this is going on in real life right now. So I would rather someone make an earnest ham fisted commentary about yeah. bad things that are happening than try to be smart and, and apathetic. I about want it. Tala to have this platform. Yeah, straight up. I want you know it's like when Wentworth Miller started doing Legends, he was on interview saying, it's really important for me as an out gay man to be on this television and come into people's homes so people can see that out gay men Are can play these roles and can do these role like, and can do this. Yeah. And I think it's the same. And like Tala has said sort of similar things and how important this is to her. And can I take a quick, and like it's, speaking of things being insidious, can I just take like a quick, quick, what am I going to do? Slap the microphone out of your hand? Yeah, I mean, here's, here's the thing, is that I sometimes find it a bit insidious that, like, an actress, like, like, that, like, and here's the, here's a perfect example of the sort of hypocrisy that is expressed by sort of the showrunners of DCTV, mm -hmm. Mark Guggenheim especially, is that, like, he's boasting that they have a Muslim-American superhero, and that Tala herself is Muslim-American, and then Melissa Bebo has been in not one, but two very anti-Muslim, I would just call them propaganda films. Yeah, that And point. Tala is still expected to work with her, mm -hmm. take photos with her, be nice to her, when Melissa has clearly expressed how she feels about Muslim Americans. And it's like, she has to be nice to her when it is very plain that she does not feel the obligation to be nice to... Muslim Americans. Yep. So that and is important. You should not have to swallow shit to, to work on the show. And that's why sort of you always do have to be wary of this kind of stuff. You know, as Marina Diamandis once said, question what the TV tells you. But look into, you know, it does matter what actors are doing and yeah. what other stuff they've been in. Because even if it's not how they're written... An actor is not a robot reciting lines that the script wrote. It, you can kind of notice sometimes when people behave badly towards women or don't think highly of Muslims, and it will come through in their performances. So just keep it in mind as you analyze an actor's performance and what they're doing and saying and how they're doing and saying it on a show. Oh, also Melissa Bebo, allegedly. Um, so what else? Let's what go else back. Wanna... Let's, let's talk about Zari then. Yes. Because Zari is... She's, to you be, want to talk about how much you liked her because she reminds yeah. you of what... Yeah. Let me put this bluntly. Zari is an angel. Yeah. She is sent from heaven. I will defend her until my dying breath. Now, I used to watch 
Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then if you could just Ugh. picture me spitting onto the ground. I'm not going to spit because that audio would be disgusting. Ugh. Just picture me saying it and then spitting. Um, Frogs and toads falling out of your mouth as you say it. Oh, God, not again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, essentially, I was so in love with the character of Skye in season one. Who got so much shit for being a Mary Sue. And, 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 and she's so clever. And I was, I every time I think about that... I literally phase out of existence for a minute because I'm so angry. It was so bad. And then I phase back in. And, like, here's the thing is, as I've re-looked at the series and re-looked at how, again, terrible those showrunners are mm-hmm. and how disingenuous their social messages are. It was very much, we're trying to be I've, clever. I've, I've rethought some of the stuff and, like, I'm more okay with the Daisy stuff than, like, because I identified so heavily with Sky. That when they turned her into Daisy Johnson and they put her in a very tight bodysuit and stuff like that. It wasn't the same character. It made me personally feel like this is all I'm ever going to be to the world. Mm-hmm. And I had to take some time and really, you know, process that. And then, you know, I love Chloe so much and I just want her to do what makes her happy. And if Daisy, you know, I think she's proud of being Daisy in a lot of ways. And that's fair. And I so I am happy that. for her. Like but you're I'm, not happy with the show experience. I'm not you. happy with the show experience because, again, I am Chloe first, everything else second. Yes. And so for them to bring in another character for me who is, you know, they said hacktivist a lot at San Diego Comic-Con, which is clearly, like, my trigger phrase. Yeah. And I go into immediate That's some mentoring candidate shit. Um, um, it's also kind for, of more meaningful than, like, yes. and I love Felicity to death, but with Zari, it matters that she's doing a lot of hacking stuff and being a quote-unquote hacktivist um, because she is a Muslim woman yeah. in an authoritarian future. So it matters more and it feels more mm-hmm. urgent that she have these powers to protect herself because you know, she's in if, very real if danger. If Arrow were clever, they might do something about Felicity being a Jewish woman with Nazism on the rise again. Yeah, because you would talk about the Nazis' online presence and how Stormfront is kind of masquerading and how online stuff in general has really that kind of made That would be a really great thing together. for Felicity to take on and defeat. But no, we're doing a fucking Black Lives Matter episode because why the fuck not? What if I just killed myself? Allegedly. What if we just, like, it's so bad. And that's the thing is, like, Zari is very earnest and very, she is herself earnest. So I don't mind that they're doing this earnest and, like, ham-fisted social commentary. Because she herself is very, like, aggressively good. Like, the difference between Um, someone. And, like, the thing about that is. I just, like, love seeing her. I love seeing the little, like, tactics she does because she is a survivor, so she does have a little bit of an edge to her. Yes. And, like, there's this scene where she robs a prison and they catch her, and they're like, what are you doing? And she just sort of drops, when they're like, what about your brother? And she just drops the whole facade and is kind of smug with herself. Yes. She's very proud that she was able to And it was so good. Like, that's the kind of stuff. Mick is so endeared by that. Yeah, Mick is like, it's the Mick Rory school for young girls who want to learn to steal good. But it was literally like the clever girl sequence. I'm sitting there looking at this. I'm like, oh no, he's having fond emotions towards her. I should probably kill myself now. Um, She is so guile. And it goes back to like what we were talking about. So we can tie in this to Nazi stuff. It goes back into uh, being Wait, a guy you hero. thought we just talked about bullshit all the time. And we do. We but do, there but are common threads. But what I think is very interesting is that Zari is kind of the embodiment of the guile hero. And this show doesn't have that many of those. Yep. People are either incredibly good or chaotic good, but bad at everything. Because um, you have people like Sarah and Mick who aren't really guile heroes per se. They're more like people who are morally conflicted. They're tricksters in the way we think of tricksters. Yes, they're Loki they, versus the They carry... Um, Especially like, Sarah. When Sarah. What did you say? Loki versus Anansi is what yeah. you said? Okay. Um, they, like, when Sarah carries the little knife because she's fighting a samurai, uh-huh. and she slashes, slashes him across the chest, which is the most dishonorable thing you could have yeah, done. Yeah, I think he would have just dropped dead on spot just from the shock of someone doing that alone. Yeah, but that's the kind of people Sarah, Mick, and Len are. And yeah. that's, I love them for it. Yeah. But what? I think Zari being a little bit like that, and a little bit like... Jax's is very is more like idealism. Tim, when Tim Drake fought Lady Shiva in the comics and he did yes. so by poisoning her a little bit, not to kill her, but mm. like poisoning her a little bit ahead of time so she wouldn't be in prime fighting condition. That's Zari and that is Jax. And that I think is going to be Amaya at some point, but I do think it's very interesting. We could call them, that, I would dare say a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll. 
Ari's gonna leave. Ari, Ari I'm is. Gonna, fuck it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm. I. I. I'm going to kill you, not just in real life, but in the fake life too. I'm going to kill you on the internet. How as are you well. gonna kill me on the? I don't what? know. <laughs> I'm so angry. Why would you do this to me? I don't ever want to be reminded that South Park happened. Um, I wasn't referencing South that's Park. That's a whole fucking episode in South Park. Dude. I was literally referencing the original song that was done in like the eighties. I think that was a song in the eighties. Yes, Man, it's an actual song. It's I'm a song so... by I think I think it's Donny Osmond and his sister. Fuck you, Donny Osmond. Um, <laughs> you heard me. Fuck you. This is Donny Osmond hate podcast. Actually, no. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He voiced. Uh, he was Lee Shang singing voice in Mulan. So. Actually, no, that's still a Donny Osmond hate podcast. Donny like, Osmond, like, mostly hate podcasts. Mostly hate podcasts. All right, well, I know what um, our fucking preview of the week is going to be. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so, um, okay, so my point was, is I hate that phrase. I hate being reminded of it. And um, I love that Jax and Zari are very much good people who are not morally conf- like the thing is is mick and sour are not necessarily good people who do the good who do a good thing mm-hmm. um or they are dragging themselves kicking and screaming into doing the right thing the good thing comes naturally to people like jackson zari like as we see in this episode but they are they are then motivated to do something very aggressive about it they are going to be good in a very active sense and um Ray, by contrast, the other really true good person on the other couple of true good people on this team are much more passive. People like Ray and Nate are very um, passive in their kindness. They're not out there doing things actively, but they are still very good and kind. I mean, here's the thing is that like Nate, I think especially because he spent his entire life admiring his grandfather, has this idea of morality that is... Why are you shoving your titties out at me? I'm trying to fucking be near the fucking microphone. Would you let a bitch live? It's hard to sit properly. My posture, <laughs> my posture is fucked because I have two basketballs on my fucking chest. All right. Is this I, the part where we reveal to the listeners that we are stack lacking? Didn't everyone kind of know already? Surprise. We- anyway, so Nate's morality comes. <laughs> Nate's morality comes from the idea that like this is what a hero is, and this is what I want to be. So I'm going to mm-hmm. do this. Whereas, like, rate, 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 <laughs> rate is the ship name. name. <laughs> uh, I hate us so fucking much God. every day. Every time. Where Ray is, I think he was just born that way. I mean, we see baby Ray at the end, and I'm like, oh, so you've just been a Disney princess your whole fucking life, haven't you? Because I was like, expecting- I'm a little, I'm, I'm sorry, I personally am, like, a little wary of calling male characters who are, like, like oh, male okay, yeah, Disney, fair. because one of the things is, like, there's a member of BTS, my bias, uh, Kim Seok Jin, love of my life, fire of my loins. Oh, oh God, I don't did, want to shouldn't have said that last part. I don't want to talk um, about K-pop. Hold I'm on, it, there's an example. There's I, a I fucking know. story I know, in here. I know there is. An, oh, I why don't you talk you. about Homestuck last week? Okay, you <laughs> Okay, so essentially because he really likes pink and like he's very proud of his appearance, people are like, oh, he's a Disney princess. And like especially because people feminize Asian men so much. Yeah, that's a very, very, it's very bad. And so I know Brandon Routh is not an Asian man, but like because Ray is so sweet. You know, they had that like Cusco is another Disney princess kind of thing. Like because Ray is so sweet and gentle, I don't like seeing that feminized. And like I know you and I know you. I'm using, here's the thing is I want to clarify. I want to, I'm saying this because I have read so many fucking books on Disney history and animation and shit like that. When I say that Rey is a Disney princess, I mean I am expecting animals to come to his aid sight unseen that like yes, he is assisted he fits, in his day-to-day he tasks. It's an archetype idea. of someone who is true, noble good, like empathetic. The sun shines for him. Yes. The birds sing for him. It's that's he what I mean. He cleans your house while singing a song. Yes. Kind of bullshit. Like that's right. Mick so that's what I mean. Screaming <laughs> off camera. Let me tell you guys something. Let me tell you something, listener. And that is, I like Steel Adam. I enjoy it. Uh-huh. I think. But the more they Adam emphasize, Adam Wade fucks me up. The more they emphasize, like, oh, we're gonna have more between Nate and Ray this season. I'm like, if you pay Adam Wade fucking dirt this season, I'm gonna come to your house, Phil, allegedly, and I'm gonna kill you in Second Life, <laughs> allegedly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Ruin your online game of Second Life. <laughs> I'm not sure if you guys know this, but allegedly Phil Clemmer is a really avid player of Second Life. No, no, I'm making this up. I'm making this entire thing up. I was like, up. oh, that's going, like furry hell. It's a so. joke. It's a joke. I'm not sure, dude. Um, <laughs> Phil Clemmer, avid Second Life player. Tell your friends, allegedly. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, we have a lot of people. And like, this is one of those things I love about Legends. And this is why I'm so happy that Zari is on this team. Because... Mm-hmm. What Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did is that it's like, this is a found family. 
But everybody fucking hates each other and, tur- and turns on each other with the slightest And provocation. it's not even just about the stuff that you and I have discussed that we're yes. not going to bring up on this podcast because nope, we don't do have it. time for that. It's also that members of this team that I've seen support on like the internet for that like they're a family and they're a team and they're a group. They're so nasty to each other. Uh-huh. They're so mean to each other. And they teach each other really negative, bad habits. Uh-huh. And none and of they that make, happens here. They make each other their worst selves. Yes. And I think what the good thing about Legends is... is I'm that, like, that's relatable family content for me, but that's not something yeah, you should really be hey, about. I don't want this on fucking television. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Excuse me. If I wanted this, I could go home, Phil. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. Phil doesn't do Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Whoever the fuck does. Jedmo? Jeb? I don't remember Jim what his name Jim Bush, writer of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, Please clap. What I... No. <laughs> but, um, Please clap the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. motto. Yeah, at this point. I'm, in humans, I'm, literally, please clap. Oh my god, I think I'm gonna have a stroke. Yeah, um, I know, I'm sorry. Um, the thing is, is that, like, when you have characters, and, like, they... Legends of Tomorrow, for all its shortcomings... Ray loves Mick without asking acts, anything ...actually him. understands how good is supposed to be yeah. as a concept. Ray Palmer is a kind of character who is like he is our standing point for the morality clause. Yep. He is He is the He is our morality chain. And so everybody else can kind of run off and do their own thing because Ray is sort of like He's the, the fulcrum that all of the show's morality is balanced. And on. so as long as Ray says it's okay, everyone's like okay. Everyone this is can fine. like when Jack's free the prisoners, Ray was like, Okay. Yeah. He might like, not I'm be the not first saying to that do all it, these women. I'm not saying that all these women need Ray's permission. But it's more like because this is a narrative thing. It's not like oh, yeah, it's Ray not about women, women asking for permission. It's yes. about um, basic narrative structure. Yes, and in that there is usually every show kind of has to establish where its morality is mm-hmm. because in certain shows um, there are some shows where the protagonists and the people we're supposed to root for are like thieves and murderers so with that you need to establish a fulcrum of morality that then their antagonists have to be like people running sex trafficking rings and child we're talking about death ducks specifically specifically. but like the idea in general is if you start out with protagonists who aren't necessarily the best people you need two things you need villains that are more evil than them and you need someone who is like the embodiment of goodness and for dusk it was kate and for for legends it is ray he is a very passive good that jackson zari aren't but he is the kind of good where that when people afterwards when they're debating the morality of their actions if when that scene happens as it usually happens what ray says goes and the thing is is like it's really interesting because we don't see ray as being an authoritative character and he isn't it's more that his morality even if he doesn't realize it and they don't realize it that morality becomes a dictating thing and there can be something to be said about like why is it white characters are always this morality yes and that's absolutely a point that should be made in this discussion but with that, I also, I, I think we're assigning negativity to Ray's morality yes. position that simply doesn't exist. Yes. Because, like, he has never, he's never disagreed with Jax on what the right thing is. Jax yeah. might be the one who's actively doing it because he might have more of a passionate stake in it. Yeah. But Ray has always been like, I think Jax did the right thing here. And like, like, the thing he is... He is never negative and he is always understanding and he gives without, like, any sort of hesitation. Well, like, even me, at the start of the show. Let me talk about Amaya for a second, actually. Okay. Because Amaya, I've made some actually very interesting parallels between her and Captain America because yes. they're both sort of man-slash-woman out of time, stubborn good, this is what an old-school hero looks like kind of thing. Yes. And she also has that morality chain aspect to her. You're using morality chain wrong, I'm sorry. But morality chain, like, when I say, when I when someone is a morality chain, it's that they are an acting, they are, like, the only thing keeping another character from being an abject monster. Okay. So, like, You're that's absolutely. Eobard's morality chain in certain aspects. But in, in, like, an episode, not like, always. I can't believe you brought that up in this fucking podcast. I'm looking at you because I'm watching your facial expression right Holy now. Shit, Listeners, I it's hate amazing. You so fucking much. Well, I he just is. want to talk about Amaya and he how is, good she it. is. I just want to <laughs> fucking well, you argue about Amaya. <laughs> you were using the term. Wrong. You were using the term wrong. What you oh mean is the fulcrum. She yes, is thank the you. The fulcrum of I did morality. She and Ray, I think, are both the most moral and upstanding oh, straight people. Up. I That's... think Ray, especially because she was a member of the Justice Society of America, like admires her yes. a lot. We don't see like, it a lot, but I it, it's I, their first episode together. Yeah. He was like, "What are we? What do we do now?" Like he looked to her. Yes. He does respect her. I and I love how much he respects her, especially because really she's like, "Oh, I like I love you too, Nate." <laughs> Ray, <laughs> who are you? Barry, Rate that one. Which one? Billy Zane. <laughs> 
Who is he? <laughs> Which one is he? God. Did I have sex with this one? But like, it's very much like uh-huh. they are two. They are. But two I very think that cultures. actually Zari is going to inspire Amaya to be a bit more like Anasi. Yes. I think because that's her totem, and that's because who Amaya needs to be, her threats are becoming more powerful. Like Ray doesn't she need needs to be, a guile to be hero. less like JSA Amaya, less like who sort of she learned to be on the JSA fighting mm-hmm. alongside those guys, and more like Anasi the Spider, yes. more like Zari. Yes. And I think Amaya is going to inspire Zari to see the beauty of the world. And that life is beautiful and worth living, That's and that horrible. there is good. Here's, I, I really want to emphasize this. It will be because you brought up something yes. that I think is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Because yes, I do think Zari is very much going to be like Amaya. Mm-hmm. You have to do things this way, and the forces mm-hmm. that are going to be like Amaya, you can do things this way instead, are probably going to be Nate and Ray, yeah. or at least Nate, even if Ray might not. Ray will probably get involved because he's worried about Nate, but. Um, mm, that's gay. That is gay. But here's uh, the thing: blue and red means gay. Blue and red means gay. And since what Nate, color is Zari's totem? Both Nate and Ray have blue and red in their suits. So what I'm saying is they're both bi. Zari's totem is red. Red and Amaya's His totem, totem is, is blue. What I'm saying is that it's it's all it's, it's all, all happening. It's all happening. Everything gay all the time forever. Um, everything gay so much. But um, the thing with Amaya is I am really proud of her for developing and and changing how she views the situation and how she should handle a situation. And there was a lot of that in this episode. We had um, that moment where her her mom was came in and was like, "Honey, you have to you have to do more. You have to do better. You have a power you need to use." It was very genuine and honest and it was like it was there's a, a scene where she's sort of laying unconscious and they move her to the med bay because nate is running around high and amaya's actually having a spirit vision and yeah. sarah like goes and like looks down on her and it's some literal like true love's kiss shit where yeah. sarah goes and she like puts her arm on amaya and she's like amaya and we get like this beautiful close-up on Maisie's literally perfect face yeah like like and this is the thing it's like sierra and Maisie have, I think, genetically perfect faces. Yeah, like, in model, model caliber faces. And, and, like, Zari, oh my god, I was just, like, Zari is gorgeous. I like that she's also kind of, like, rough around the edges gorgeous. Yeah. Like, she's not, we haven't really seen her dressed up yet, but she's, yep. like, cute, scruffy ponytail, and, like, if we had, mm-hmm. if you were just wearing a flannel, you would be she's, the top lesbian. She's Joe. God damn it. She's she's the sporty girl um, archetype because Sarah likes crop tops. See, too much. I don't I don't think of I don't think of little women. I think of um Christy from the Babysitter's Club. That's I was talking about Joe from um I think the Facts of Life. Oh, the I sporty have, one. I watched a lot of VH1 as a child. Uh, yeah, That's I how no, I know all of this I stuff. I have no clue. What My mother explicitly about. told me I wasn't allowed to watch VH1, so I watched a lot of VH1. Well, that as was a me child. in the baby, Babysitter's Club, which is my archetype for all gay girls. Um, That's true. And Martin and Martin was a lesbian. If you also read the Babysitter's Club, she was gay. So if you ever got gay vibes from the books you're reading, it was it was real. They were gay. Um, she had a wife. They were very happy by all counts. But. Um, where God was bless I? Her. I think it's just important that everyone knows the Babysitter's Club is gay. And when I think about gay girls, sometimes I do go back and I'm like, what archetype <sighs> in the Babysitter's Club do you fit into? Know. What I think is most important um, about this episode is we were very hesitant at the start of the season when they were like, Amaya's going to get a narrative arc. Amaya's going to do a lot of stuff. And we were like, oh God. Because we How are you didn't... Going? We thought they were really going to bone it up. And like, they might still do that. I don't want to say they're out of the woods yet. Yeah, I do not want to so say far, we're in the clear. Because so as long far, as the show is running, we are in the woods. <laughs> yes. But... We're in the full um, from of it. We're in the unknown, ladies and gentlemen. But... Are um, you just going to ignore what I said? I didn't... You know what? Be lucky that I'm deaf and have auditory processing issues because it took me a second to understand what you just said. And <laughs> I'm not... I'm not going to... I'm not going to acknowledge it because I'm a better person than that. My point is... It's very... Introducing Zari was good for Zari as a character. She's a great character and the kind of character the show needs. But it's also really interesting and great for Amaya because she is very much introduced as, here's a woman who's going to show up and um, improve Amaya's narrative arc. And that's awesome. Their narrative arcs are intertwined. Their souls and totems are intertwined. It's fate, Harold! That's actually, it is It is fate, and I'm su- I love the fact that they are kind of, ex- they are explicitly compared to basically be soulmates. I love that. I want to talk about the scene in which that is established, because when Amaya says all this stuff, and Nate's sitting there, and the joke is, of course, that he's sitting there hoping she's going to say, I miss you, I love you, I want to stay with you. And she says, oh, Zari's the one that's the most important to me. I think it's really great 
that Zari is that important to Amaya yes. and that she knows that. Yes. This is not, this is not me saying, I, was, oh, I wish Nina I was, was more important. But this I was is, hold torn. on. Okay. Hold on. This is what I, what yeah. we were, because we were just discussing it a little bit before. Um, I am not against Zari being the most important in Amaya's life, uh, most important in Amaya's life. What I am concerned with is that the joke is now going to become Nate is being pussy whipped by Amaya. And I know that's not really a great word, but that's the kind of attitude they seem to be having towards what they are having happen to Nate right now in his relationship. Like he is getting the short end of the stick and kind of letting him like the, the, the writing implication is, Oh, he's letting Amaya like jerk him around and play like cock tease him kind of thing. Like, Oh, it's so funny that, you know, he is still trying to be her boyfriend and she's so clearly doing other things and doesn't care. I think she cares, but I'm not fond of the fact that the show seems to be making the joke that Amaya is like Ken pecking Nate because it I number one sets her up as aggressive or like an uncaring member of the relationship, and that's yeah, definitely not I, something we want. And like, I don't want to. I don't want her to have to deal with the same shit Kendra had to deal with every yes. time she rebuffed Ray. That's my big thing. Yes. And the other thing is like, I, I like Nate, and like I was kind of torn because I'm like, Amaya and Zara are soulmates, and they're gonna ride off into the sunset together. Mm -hmm. But I'm also like, oh. It's kind of sad when his feelings get hurt. Like, we do care. It's partially because, yes, we care about Nate as a character. And, like, I don't like... I, I don't, just... I, I don't trust this narrative to have Amaya, like, treat Nate that way in a way that they won't immediately then be like, and now, here is your punishment. Yes. That, too. But also, my other big ish I have is I'm not necessarily against Amaya and Zari being a thing. That's awesome, and I want that. I don't want the narrative treating Nate like this because it implies a contempt for Nate that is also yeah. making a caricature of Amaya, and yeah. that's simply unacceptable. Like, if Amaya's are going to be a thing, that's great. I do not want it turning into Amaya's henpecking Nate, and he's too stupid to see he's being cuckolded, because everything surrounding that would be really bad, and the show cannot handle that, so don't fucking do it. I'm watching you, Phil. Yeah, do not fuck me on this. I will kick your ass. And I could, because you're like a dry-cleaned Todd Howard, so I could absolutely We came up you. with that this week, and I think it's one of the best things we've ever done. Yeah. Okay, so we forgot to cover him last week, and a friend of ours really wants us to cover him. So we're going to talk today about Blendon Blandon. Gary Green. Gary so. is, because uh, I just looked up his actor, and now I realize, Gary is the most Jewish person on the show. Which is great. Um, Gary has come in, I guess, because they know Stein's going to fill a void. Oh, Jesus. Um, the thing is, though, is for right now... I should have known when he was complaining about his fucking circulation. Yeah, that's fair, actually. Um, so let's talk about this from the perspective of there is a specific kind of trope and it usually happens in superhero media, although mm -hmm. it tends to happen in any sort of larger than lifestyle genre, is you'll have the yes. stuffed suit kind of character who the joke is that they're, you know, a kind of schlubby, usually almost always male, yeah. um, usually white, um, although not always, um, who works for an organization that is either very powerful or very mysterious or very a little bit of both. Um, so Gary is that kind of character. And the thing about these kinds of characters is they tend to get one note very quickly because mm -hmm. the joke with them is always they are a character who is in over their head with their wacky job. And it's so wacky that they're so normal with their, you know, wacky fucking occupation. I, have a fondness yeah. for these characters when they move beyond these bounds. When yes. they can prove to me that they are something other than someone who is just constantly bewildered by their job position, I end up really liking them. I have a cat named Phil Coulson. He was named before Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. betrayed me on every sort of level. Every, every level Every possible. level possible. But that should kind of tell Levels you... Levels I didn't even know I could be betrayed on. Uh-huh. But that should tell you where I stand on in terms of I do have a fondness for these side characters if they show a different facet to their personality than just overwhelmed generically. With that said, Gary has potential to be one of these characters. Mm -hmm. um, this episode showed a little bit more of a sharpness and a little bit more of a frustration. And um, a fondness for McRory. Yes, that's the other thing. Is his, his character trait right now that sets him apart from generic white man who's overwhelmed, I'm sorry, generic man who's overwhelmed by his job security is the fact that he would let McRory fist him um, and Zari throw him through the hollow table. 
Um, I am interested to see where they go with Gary because right now in terms of who we have in the Time Bureau that we know as a character, we have Ava and we have Gary and we have Rip, although he doesn't quite count because we know him from prior. Mm -hmm. Ava right now has a lot of control over the Time Bureau in a way that I know realistically is because Arthur is busy so they can't have Rip showing up. But in terms of story, I'm very interested to see what it means that Ava is being given a lot of control of the Time Bureau from Rip right now. Um, Gary has potential to be a very interesting character, but that all depends on how he treats the rest of the Legends and how he treats his own job. Right now, we don't really have a lot about him that sets him apart from every other man confused by his job um, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But... I have high hopes for him because his actor has pretty good comedic timing. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what's going to save him is his actor seems to be very talented and very good at being like the dry, comically serious type. I have an idea. For, you know, I think Gary needs a little more physical comedy. Yes. I think Gary needs some more falling. I think he needs some more getting thrown well, through windows. I like that he's very yeah. dry. Like, that's yeah. the thing is we don't have a lot of dry humor on this show because yeah. it's such a hammy, over-the-top show. Um, he has a very dry wit that could be utilized well to the show's advantage because it's such a hammy over the top show. And I want to believe that he's going to end up being really good. Um, right now the show needs to prove to me that they're doing something with the time bureau um, and Gary that isn't simply um, that guy in Ghostbusters who was trying to get them tripped up on environmental regulations or something like that. Oh, that's a really good way to compare them. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, that's really, that's really, that's really, the guy from the EPA, I think. Um, which is such an America in the 80s political thing that, like, the guy tripping up the Ghostbusters was from the EPA. So how's global warming taste, Ghostbusters? But, um... The EPA was right and The EPA was wrong. right. But... Um, I have high hopes for Ava because she is a powerful trans lesbian, um, as far as I'm concerned. As far as I'm concerned, Ava's backstory is that she is a trans lesbian from the ruling class of lesbians in the year 3000 who have taken over the world yes. and are doing some really great things. They have is very the part, hold on, is it the part that is underwater or is it the part that is above ground? Ooh, you know what? I feel like, I feel like intelligently they would have, um, floating hands, cities. They would have hands in both sectors. That's fair. Um, the, the floating cities that lesbians have built in the year 3000. They do have very harsh alternate side parking rules. But, you know, sometimes you really do have to put your foot down. You really do. Um, on that note. On that note, we're excited for next episode. Um, we are just really pleased with the quality this season has been so far. I'm afraid to Every say it. Every time someone posts something on my Tumblr that's like, oh, it's like, or blocks my gifts. And like, it's a shame where this show is going. I just block them. That's right. I love blocking people. Um... But we do want to say for the people who aren't critiquing where the show is going and the people who are listening to this, it is so amazing to me. I don't know how Rachel feels, but I am pleased beyond imagining that people are really enjoying what we have to say and yeah. really in, like and and taking enjoyment out of the show and feeling like we're saying things that mm -hmm. are important to them. Um, you all being super awesome about this is really awesome for me. Um, just thank you a lot for continuing to listen to this podcast. Also, I have a Redbubble store which sells um, some fun shirts, and I just made one because it takes it costs zero money to put up, and I make zero money from it. But it does say allegedly, and then under it says hashtag Legends of Review. So I'll link it in the description of this on SoundCloud. Um, if, if you, you want wanna, a shirt that says allegedly, if, if you want a shirt that says allegedly, I also have one that says Phil Clemmer owes me five dollars. So if you go to San Diego Comic Con and want to wear that, you could get it signed. Feel free. Um, and again, I make absolutely no money off of those, so feel free to do whatever the hell you want with them. Um, and thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. See you next week. I love you.